We're still in the Life's Healing Choices series. This is week three of four weeks, and um, so I wanted to do a little bit of review. So let me go back. We started this with talking about awareness, and we recognized that if you're not aware of something, it's impossible to do anything about it. So the first step in making a, a, a healing choice is to become aware that you need to do that. But it didn't end there. We looked at the story of Cleopas and his friend and their journey to Emmaus and that when they encountered Jesus. And Jesus kind of messed with them a little bit. Uh, you know, he's like, oh, what happened? Uh, in the breaking of the bread, Jesus was revealed. But, but the important, or one of the important things about that was at that point, Cleopas and his friend had a choice. They could act on the fact that Jesus was revealed to them, or they could ignore it and continue on to Emmaus. Now, they chose to act. They actually, we don't know what they were going to Emmaus for, but they chose to turn around and go back to Jerusalem. And the great thing about that, they were there with the disciples when Jesus himself showed up in the room. And that's what happens when we're obedient, that we receive blessings. And there was a truism that, that we talked about, that obedience leads to blessings. So, so that was week one. You know, we need to be aware in order to make better choices and healing choices. Week two was about miracles and wonders. And that we sometimes get lost in looking for the tangible miracles in life when the greatest miracle of all is that God lives in you. Amen? Did you know that? That God lives in you? Is that cool or just me? It's a miracle, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the most amazing thing. The creator of everything... Whenever I start talking about this, I, I try to wrap my, my mind around how the creator of everything that is lives in me. And it made galaxies and the universe, and somehow he lives in me. When we say yes to Jesus, we become the temple of God. It's, it's, it's beyond anything that we can fathom. It's beyond amazing. It's incredible. But it doesn't end there because when we become the temple of God, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, that gives us the power to overcome the hurts, habits, hang-ups, the things in our life that get between us and God. That power is within us. And I certainly understand, because it happens in my life, that it's, I let the world kind of pull me away from that, that understanding or, or Satan kind of puts a thought in me. And I, and I forget that that power resides in me. I'm the temple of God, and the Holy Spirit dwells in me, and that power to overcome is there. Another thing that happens in my life, probably in yours, is that God most often works through other people. How many people like to ask for help? Oh, wait, no, I don't. <laughs> it's, you know, it's hard to ask for help. It's hard to say, you know, help. I like being the helper. It's the asking for help that's more of a challenge. And, and, and so that gets in the way as well. But here's the thing. When we allow the miracle-working power of God to be our guide and our source, our lives will never be the same. He transforms us and makes us new. But today our focus is going to move. It's going to be to a different kind of area. It's, it's keeping our side of the street clean. And it's extraordinarily important in this day and age. And let me read this to you because I know you're trying to. It can be easy to get wrapped up in our own ideas about what other people should or should not be doing. And that's a good time to remind ourselves to refocus on just keeping our own side of the street clean and letting others worry about their own side of the street. 
See, in our world today, the, the primary focus seems to be not on our side of the street. It seems to be on the other side of the street. And I'm going to use the easy target, our political system and our political process. Who do Democrats focus on primarily? Democrats focus on Republicans. Republicans focus on isn't that interesting? You know, and by the way, I am not taking a side. I'm just making a point. <laughs> Theoretically, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, our system is one where we elect people to represent us, to, to, to the American people. And when we elect them, we expect them to go and to work together for the betterment of us and America. But instead, what has happened over time and probably has been forever, is that we elect people who focus on the other side in order to denigrate and demonize and make them the bad guy and make them evil and aren't they terrible. And that has led us to a place where very little gets done in our political system. And I suppose that's to be expected because in the world, the, the, the things that are of greatest importance are things like power. And, and how to, uh, so it doesn't become how do I fulfill what I was elected. It, it becomes how do I maintain power? How do I maintain status? How do I maintain control? How do I maintain <coughs> excuse me, this idea of success and influence that comes from the world? How do I get, get, what I get, get mine, right? Personal gain becomes a part of that. This, it's, it's an attitude of what's in it for me. It's, I might get elected to serve my, the, the, my constituency, but when I get there, it seems to turn into what's in it for me. And, and that has become a part of the church. And that's unfortunate, but I, I believe that to be a reality, and I kind of think it's our own fault. Because we, and when I say we, I mean people like me, pastors, church leaders, have too often tried to figure out how to get people to come to church by providing them entertainment instead of substance. And that turns our congregations into consumers of worship. Consumer church, a church is seen as a dispenser of religious goods and services. We're just another service industry. People come to church to be fed, to have their needs met through quality programs, to have their, their professionals teach their, chi their children about God. And the attitude is, I go to church. Now, is all that bad? No. It's not all bad. I mean, we want our children to grow. But if my focus is handing off, and I just go to church, that's very different from the missional church and what we're called to be as a, as a movement in community. Missional church is a body of people who are sent on a mission who gather in community. We gather to worship God to, for community encouragement, teaching from the word in addition to what we're self-feeding ourselves at home. And that is, I am the church because that's the truth for us. We want to we wanna live that out. The church is not this building. The church is us together. But we tend to turn our congregations into consumers. And you can tell this by what's talked about after a service. If after the services, consumer comments come out, things like, you know, I didn't get anything out of worship today. That's a, that's a what's in it for me comment, right? I didn't get anything out. Of, and, and by the way, I didn't get anything out of the message. Man, Mike was really off today. I don't know what was up with him. Or the music didn't move me today. All of those are focused on what I'm getting, what I'm consuming, and what that does for me, what the question that immediately pops into my mind is, what did you add to worship? 
What did you add to worship? You came here to worship God, right? So what did you add to worship? If all we're doing is sitting back to receive, that's not why we're here. We're here to worship God. And it's not that I don't think that worship needs to be engaging, because I do. you got to know that. I think it ought to be fun. I think it ought to be challenging. I think it ought to be thought-provoking. It ought to move our spirits. It ought to prepare us for the coming week. I believe that the church is the equipping, training, preparing ground, the place to come to prepare us to get out there and live out our life. That's what we come here for. And look, on Sundays, sometimes we get here so beat up and tired that it's like, I need to breathe. I need to breathe in a little bit of Jesus. You know, and that receiving is good because you're breathing in a little bit of Jesus. You're not here to consume the message or the, the music. You're here to receive what God has for you. That's being the church. That's what Sunday, that's what we're here for today. And I also understand that services vary in their impact, and, you know, some are better than others, and, and I get that. But if you find yourself asking those questions or walking out of here with those consumer questions, please Take a look at where that's coming from and ask yourself the question, what did I add to worship today? Did I add anything? Our passage today is out of 2 Corinthians. And it reflects on my point. You know, that's a lot of words leading up to this. My point's really simple. Where's your focus? Where's your focus? Which leads to a second question, where should it be? So today we want to look at where is our focus. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 through 9, this is from the message. Test yourselves to make sure you're solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourself regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. I think there's a theme going here. If you fail the test, do something about it. I hope the test, test won't show that we have failed, but if it comes to that, we'd rather the test showed our failure than yours. We're rooting for the truth to win out in you. We couldn't possibly do otherwise. We don't just put up with our limitations. We celebrate them and then go on to celebrate every strength, every triumph of the truth in you. We pray hard that it will all come together in your lives. You see, examination is really, really important in our faith journey. Examination. And, and that examin examination's primary focus should be on ourselves, not on everybody else. And that's incredibly insightful, actually. And I know, it's like Mike, it's scripture. It's all incredibly insightful, right? And I would say um, some of that stuff's hard and dense and difficult. And I don't know if it's insightful or not, but this is incredibly insightful. And here's why. There's one person that I know that I can have an impact on. You know who that is? By the choices I make. One person I know I can have an impact by the choices I make. You know who that is? Yeah. I, can, I know. Now, my choices might impact others, but I know the choices that I make will have an impact on my life, right? Because we're free to choose. We're not free from the consequences of that choice, but my choices will have an impact on my life. And when Paul wrote this, the Corinthian church was having struggles, and a big part of their struggles was their focus. They didn't understand that life's healing choices begin in this place of self-examination. And Paul's doing at least two things in this passage, and the first is to examine yourself. Examine yourself. Test yourselves to make sure you're solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. 
What that means is that you need people in your life that you can go to. And, and I encourage you to actually do this, but don't do it with people that you don't trust. Do it with people that you do. Is go to them and say, tell me about my faith. Because they should be able to tell you something about, their fa- about your faith. So go to them and say, tell me about what, how, how you see me. And then hear what they have to say. Because that will begin to let you know what other people are seeing. And you heard me say something last week that ha- that's a recovery tenet, and, and, it's, and it became powerful in my life. And, and Mike referenced this a little bit ago. It's, it was, you know, a lot was going on in my life, and my, my sponsor, uh, you remember he was a jerk, right? Um, <laughs> he said, Mike, after one of our conversations, Mike, if you spend six months out of every year trying to figure out what you need to work on, and six months out of every year working on it, you won't have time to worry about everybody else. <laughs> and why that was so important was in, in my early recovery, uh, I was worried a lot about how life was not fair and how things weren't go- going the way that they should. Because here I am, I'm, I'm, I've done, you know, I've stopped drinking, I've stopped drugging, and life's supposed to get better, and my life didn't. You know, it was, <laughs> you know, I was not doing those same things, but it was hard. I I, uh, first six months of, of my recovery, I ended up bankrupt. You know, I, was, I had like 11 credit card accounts that were close to max or max, and I didn't know that was cash. I thought that was cash, you know. So, <laughs> so I ended up, and I ended up going bankrupt. Later on, uh, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer that had metastasized to her brain, was given six months to live. Um, I got suspended from work. I could no longer stay up all night, and I, ran a, I worked in the oil fields. I ran a tank over. Um, which was not what you're trying, what you want to do in the oil fields. We usually want to keep the oil in the tank, um, but I, <laughs> I didn't manage that. Uh, my friend Simon Onaveras, his child was run over and killed by a bus, and another friend's child was run over and killed by a garbage truck. And this is my first six months of sobriety, and I was whining, "This ain't fair, and this ain't right, and don't you know that that person and this person and them they." That they've got it easy, and, and I'm doing all of this stuff, and it's not fair. So my sponsor, you know, bless his heart, his name's Ken, Ken Fisher, sa- probably saved my life. Um, but did I tell you he was a jerk? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was old Vietnam vet, crusty, <laughs> flowery. Um, I, I learned words from him that I'd never heard in the oil field. Um, <laughs> he was my Paul. He was my Paul. You see, he, that statement of if you focus six months on what you need to work on and six months working on it reset me because it's not about everybody else. It was about me. And that's what Paul is doing in the, in the church at Corinth. He, their focus was not where it needed to be. So they needed a reset, and they needed to think differently and to look at things differently. And they were listening to, to guys who were leading them away from what the apostle Paul had been teaching them. So where's your focus? And unlike our world, which is always focusing on what other people need to work on, for us as believers, our focus is to be on what we need to work on. That Matthew passage that Corey used is powerful. That's from Jesus who says, look, you're spending all your time looking at the bad stuff in somebody else's life. You need to stop doing that because you got more bad stuff. I love the plank. I mean, that's you can't see and yet we still try to focus and 
look at other people. So how do you change that? How do you reset that? How do you figure out what you need to work on? And the well, first step is to focus on a relationship with God. And then what it is in our lives that is in the way of that relationship so that we can become who God created us to be and to live that out, to live out our calling. Paul challenged the Corinthians to do this inspiration, introspection, but also to act on it. See, our choices lead to actions. And his second point is simply that you're not alone in this journey. I love what, what he says here. If you fail the test, do something about it. I hope the test won't show you that we have failed. But if it comes to that, I'd rather the test showed you that we failed than that you did. We're rooting for you. We're rooting for the truth to win out in you. We couldn't possibly do otherwise. We don't just put up with our limitations. We celebrate them. Then go on to celebrate every strength and every triumph and the truth in you. We pray hard that it will all come together in your life. And the reason that Paul could do that was he had this interesting thing. He, he had, had this thing called relationship equity. See, he was able to, to, because he had spent time, because he had spent energy, because he had invested in the lives of the church, the people at Corinth, he, he had the relationship equity to then talk to them and have an impactful conversation with them. See, too often we just look at stuff uh, that people we don't know or, and we try to, especially with social media, and we, take sni we snipe at them, right? And we take shots at different people. We don't know them. Build relationship equity so that that conversation you have has depth. And his desire, Paul's desire, this is why I write these things so that when I'm absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me, and this is the important part, for building you up, not for tearing you down. Building you up, not for tearing you down. Our focus needs to be on building one another up, not tearing one another down. To be happy for each other. To understand that God's abundance is unlimited, right? So because you get something good, I don't have to be jealous of that. I can celebrate that because it's not like it's limited. It's not like, oh, man, that was the last that God, that was the last of the joy that God has. <laughs> it's not fair. No, God's got more. God's got more. And that's different. When we look at the world, the world is not in this place. It doesn't spend its time encouraging one another, building one another up, tends to spend time tearing each other down. And I believe this, that if the church were noticeably different from the world, that if we lived in a way that was noticeably different, if they would only know that we are Christians by our love, by our love, if they saw us, then it would force something, force them to think some stuff. It'd be, you know, so, so we're, we're loving one another no matter what. And then somebody kind of looks at that who's not used to that, and they're like, yeah. Lynn's weird. I mean, she doesn't agree, and yet she's having a conversation with somebody, and they're not mad? How do you do that? That's not right. You got to get mad at each other and you got to cut each other off and unfriend each other. And, and, and you know, and, and you can't like keep a relationship, can you? That's just crazy. Maybe I need to go talk to Lynn about what's up with that. Why? How does she do that? 
And I know that's not comfortable for a lot of folks, right? It's not, this is not a comfortable place because many, for many of us, it's not natural. And the beauty of that is that the reason it doesn't feel natural is because it's not natural. Our natural inclination is division. Our natural inclination is, is to look for the flaw and the, and, the, and the speck and just go after that. That's our natural inclination, but we have a supernatural God. And our lives will reflect that supernatural God and the ability to live in a way that's not as everybody else does. The power of the Holy Spirit living in us will transform us and change us. A little earlier in the letter, Paul uh, wrote, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation... Oh, man, that's a... What was that? Wow. <laughs> if anyone is Christ, the new, <laughs> the new creation has come. Uh, the old has gone and the new is here. And the pathway to this new creation is through Christ, right? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you know, start praying about that now. And I know um, that we come to church oftentimes for most of our lives. But if you don't have a depth of relationship with Jesus Christ, start praying, praying about that now. The, the invitation is going to be later, but I'm going to... I have committed myself to, to making that invitation on a weekly basis because you just never know whose heart God wants to change in a, in a given moment. But anyway, Paul makes it clear that living in the old is not what we're to be about, that we're supposed to be focused and live into, into being a new creation and a new life and a transformed life and not worry so much about everybody else but to focus on what God would have us to do. And that's different and that's powerful. And here's that slide, and you're right. If you're walking down, the, down this street and one side is like that dirty, messy, piled with garbage side and the other side has a, you know, is clear and clean, which side of the street are you going to walk down? Clean side, absolutely. I'm going to walk down the clean side. And when we keep our side of the street clean, it becomes attractive. And those who are struggling with the stuff of life, because they, I, I laugh at this picture, but by the same token, I relate to that. My life used to be that. And, and it was not good. And there was a lot of stuff on my side of the street. And I didn't know what to do with all that stuff. But there was Fish who had his side of the street. He had it cleaned up. And he knew how to deal with some of my stuff. And so I went over to his side of the street so that he could teach me. But if his side of the street hadn't been clean and, and his was as messy as mine, I would not have gone there. So when we keep our side of the street clean, it, it becomes attractive to other people to kind of come and maybe it's just come and say, how you doing that? How are you doing that? Maybe it's just to get away from their own stuff, which is okay. Sometimes we need to get away from our own stuff and hang out. They might come over for some other reason, but they will come. If, if your life is, looks like that garbage on side on the other side, then people will, uh, and will come to, to, to experience a new life and a changed life. Doors might even open through the building of relationships to get some of that relationship equity and to be able to impact a life for God, to love somebody. They might even invite you to come over and help them clean up their side of the street because you're going to have the experience to help with that. And our experience becomes a catalyst for change in other people's lives when we're willing to let God use us. 
why you hear so much about my recovery and so much of my history. Because I know that God has used that and will continue to use that to reach people and to help people. And here's the thing. I don't know exactly what your stuff is, but God, I know this, that God wants to use your stuff to reach people and to help people if you're willing to allow him to do that. And wouldn't that be new? Wouldn't that be different to be that kind of a place? I pray that we embrace that and, and we live into that identity, to love God and love our neighbor, and that becomes who we are, that we're about loving God and loving our neighbors. And I pray for that here, that people are inspired to become and to seek to be who God has called and created them to be. But it starts here. And we have to do the work. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says this. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, God, and know my heart. Ask him. Ask him for that. Lord, help reveal to me all that is going on inside of me so that I can be available for all that you want to do through me.